Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today we get to look at the readings for the last Sunday of the church year. It comes to us from the prophet Malachi, the letter to the Colossians, and St. Luke. And a lot happens on this day. It is to help us prepare for the coming new church year. We begin Advent after this. And so, it's not just a reset. It's not just a, okay, here's the end and then moving on. It really reminds us of what and why we are here. The gospel lesson from St. Luke is the crucifixion. The last thing we hear this church year is the death of Christ, but we hear his statement to the criminal crucified with him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And with this statement, we get to hear that, yes, wars, pestilence, famine, all the bad stuff that you would expect to happen at the end of the world, that's coming. And we need to be prepared and ready to suffer through that. But even in that promise of discipline, even in that promise of destruction, even in that promise of wrath, even in that promise of punishment, any one of those, we still have the promise of life everlasting. We still have the promise of forever. We still have the promise of forgiveness. And we always need to really remember this, because I, I don't know if you're anything like me. If something hard is happening, if something bad is happening, that's all you fixate on. And it literally is, woe is me, this horrible thing is happening. I'm the only one that's dealing with this. I'm the only one that is suffering through this. And we isolate ourselves in, or I isolate myself in this problem. It's all about me and how bad this is. I can't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. All is lost because this is so hard, whatever it is. When God speaks of punishment or discipline, there is always the promise of salvation. There is always the promise of true hope. And this is connected with his work. And this is also connected with faith. Just because God promises salvation, just because God promises forgiveness, if we are not trusting in the work of God, if we are not trusting in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, then that discipline, that destruction, that wrath is fully ours. And deservedly, God deals this out justly. We deserve punishment. It's what we confess in our corporate confession of sins. I, poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, and I deserve punishment here and now, temporal, and forever, for eternal punishment. That is what our sins have earned. But we are not left there. God does not look upon us and say, oh, sorry it didn't work out. 
hope maybe we can do something later, but you missed the boat. God does not leave us hanging, never once. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, we already have the promise of salvation. So before we, we go further down that rabbit hole, I would like to go to the Old Testament lesson, and that's again Malachi chapter 3. And it opens with the prophet saying, your words have been hard against me. And the prophet is speaking on behalf of Jesus, or on behalf of God. And so again, God speaking to the Israelites, God speaking to his very people, makes the statement, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking in the morning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is just a huge statement because you have Israel and they have spoken against God. They are showing their rebellious acts against God. They are showing their doubts with God. And they're, they're pointing out and saying, God, you haven't really done what you said you're going to do. Look at us. We have evildoers. We have those who are putting you to the test and you're letting them get away. You are not punishing them. You are not disciplining them. They put you to the test and they get off scot-free. Where is their punishment? Where, where is your might? And they even end up saying it is vain to serve God. They are looking for this reciprocal relationship with God. God, I did this. God, I followed this. God, I obeyed this. Now I need my reward. Now I need my blessing. Now I need you to act good upon me. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. And God doesn't act like that. God doesn't operate like that. We do, and we think we're, we're doing it right. We're doing it good. But God doesn't act like that. And making that statement, your words have been hard against me. When has God not provided? When has God not opened up the great wonderment of all his gifts to and for you? And I get to say you because you and I are the spiritual Israel, and we still complain about these things. What good is it to serve God when nothing good happens to us? My faithful attendance at church, my faithful giving in the collection plate, my X, my Y, my whatever that I do, when do I get my reward? When do I get the benefit of my service, my sacrifice? And sometimes this isn't a uh, the whole idea of a you scratch my back, I scratch your back idea. And it's not even that we look for the, the pat on the back or the attaboy. We just want God to act, to recognize, to we, we want to see the fruits of our labors here. And again, that statement, it is vain to serve God. That is hard. Because we are temporal beings, that means that we're physical, that we are time-bound, and we want to see 
actions. We want to see the consequences, good or bad, of what is happening. If I pray, if I worship, if I live a faithful life, don't I get something good for this? What about all the bad people who seem to just get wealthier and wealthier and all the good things seem to be happening to them? How is that fair? Well, frankly, and as you know, life isn't fair. And this reminds me of the parable that Jesus tells, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man has everything he wants, but misuses it and trusts in his wealth and his possessions. And Lazarus has nothing on this side of heaven. And when he die, when both of them die, we see where their trust takes them. Lazarus, who trusts in God, enjoys the pleasures and the glories of heaven. And the rich man, who trusts his earthly possessions and wealth, earned a place in hell. And this helps us to be reminded of what we are, who we are, and where we are to put our trust. It is not vain to serve God because he has already served us. He has already promised to deliver us and keep us and hold us in his hands, the hands that will see us through suffering, the hands that will see us through hurt, harm, pain, Anything that our flesh, anything that our world, anything that Satan himself will throw at us, he will see us through that. Notice we don't hear that he will take it away. Notice he doesn't just snap his fingers and everything becomes easy, nice. He sees us through it. He carries us through it. We may suffer on this side of heaven. But we get to bask in the glory and the promises of eternity with him. And this is what the whole end of the church year reminds us of. No matter what happens this year, no matter what happens last year, no matter what happened yesterday or even tomorrow, we still have the promise of forever. We have the promise of the God who serves us. We have the promise of the God who did not spare his only son to make sure that we would have forgiveness, that we would have life, that we would have peace and mercy here and now and forever with him. So now we jump to the, the gospel lesson, and this is St. Luke chapter 23. And we hear that Jesus is going to Golgotha, the mountain of the skull, to be crucified. And a great multitude of people followed him, and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But And now think of this. Jesus has been beaten Jesus has been scourged, and everything bad has happened to him in this short period of time. And he's carrying his cross to his own death. And he stops and makes this statement. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, blessed are the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry?
This is an amazing statement from our Lord because he is talking about the simple fact that he is the life of the world. He is the true green tree that brings life to all. And this is what they do to the tree of life. They crucify. They kill it. What about when we are truly hurting, when we are truly in pain, when we are in spiritual distress? And we hear that we will call the mountains to fall upon us, the hills to cover us. We will think it a good thing that we don't have children, that we don't have family, we don't have life to support. That is never good. That is despair. That is hopelessness, and that is exactly what our Lord is warning against, and that is exactly why he breaks into our time, our space, our flesh, to rescue us from this hopelessness, from this despair. And he points and says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and he goes the way that we cannot go. He perfectly lives the law. He perfectly lives the will of God. And he perfectly dies your death, suffers your hell, so that you will know salvation. And even when you mourn, even when you lament, let that be death, let that be sin, let that be heartache, let that be the pains of this world. We have the promise that we will weather those storms, we will be carried through those heartaches. We will even be carried through death to have life everlasting. But then the gospel continues. We see that he is crucified and the two criminals next to him. And Jesus makes yet another huge statement, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Again, to hear these words, knowing the depths of my sin, the secret sins of my heart, and knowing God, God himself, speaks me forgiven for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake, for his life has been put upon me. I am covered. You are covered in his righteousness, in his work. And there we have this peace. There we have this relief. There we have this life, the life of everlasting, which has been given to us in Christ. That forgiveness, even in our malicious acts, even when we don't know what we're doing, we have that promise of forgiveness. And this is what we're to hold on to. This is what we're to cling on to. For that forgiveness really does see us through our problems. It really does see us through the heartache. And we need to remember this in and all things. And we need to remind others of this forgiveness of sins. And then we have the, the casting of lots and the clothes are dispersed. But then the mocking of the soldiers. You have the rulers, and they say, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And I love this if statement, because again, the soldiers mocking, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. These are very reminiscent of the devil 
temptation of Jesus. If you truly are God, if you are truly the Son of Man, turn these stones into bread. If you truly are the Son of Man, throw yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you if prove you are God. And what's amazing about this, that is exactly what Jesus does. He proves he's God. He proves he is the king of the Jews. He proves that he is the king of creation. For he is the only one who can weather the cross. He is the only one who can bear your death, my death, the death of every sinner. He bears that on his holy, mighty shoulders. And then on top of that, he takes on your grave. He takes on your hell and proves that he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. All this is done. Notice he doesn't answer the mocking. He doesn't look down at them and say, say something to the effect, I'll show you who's God. He does what God promises to do. He saves and rescues. In fact, one of the criminals next to him says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. How often have we tried to make a bargain with God? God, if you get me out of this, I'll go to church. I'll give more money. I'll do X, Y, and Z. And that's exactly what this criminal does. But you have the other criminal. Do you not fear God? If they're doing this to this truly innocent man, we deserve our punishment. But this man doesn't. Lord, remember me in your kingdom when you come into your kingdom. And then we hear the statement, the, the, the blessed statement. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And again, we should hear this. And that's what we should hear when we hear the words of holy absolution. Your sins are forgiven. Your life is restored. The right relationship that we are to have with God is given. And we get to have paradise. And I want you to think of this just for a moment. If we have paradise awaiting for us, if our forever is taken care of, what on this side of heaven can we worry about? We hear uh, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I be afraid? We have this promise that God is at work to and for us. Your sins, your death, your hell have been taken care of. They've been taken away. We are more than conquerors. Let us live in this hope. Let us live in this reality. Let us look forward to the end of this material world and the promise of a new heaven, a new earth, a new resurrected body and life everlasting with the communion of saints, the church forever basking in the glories of God. The end of the church year is an awkward time because, again, we do talk about destruction. We do talk about fearful things, things that are out of our control, things that are almost beyond comprehension. And we get to trust what Jesus says. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And today, 
you will be with me in paradise. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.